Hello, it's Alva here. Just before we start today's podcast, we wanted to say sorry for the sound quality in parts of this episode. This was due to some technical problems when we were recording, which sadly we weren't able to fix. Apologies, and we hope you'll still enjoy the discussion. Hi, I'm Alva. And I'm Philippa. And in this special series of the New Statesman podcast, we're looking at the politics of climate change in the run-up to COP26. We ask whether enough is being done to make a difference. Philippa, what are we talking about today? Today we're looking at the energy consumer of the future. Energy systems are changing. We're no longer simply consumers of energy, but many of us are already providers of energy with solar panels on our roofs and electric cars that can put power back into the grid as well as taking it out. Many of us have smart meters that show the energy we're using and may even have smart electricity tariffs so we save money if we switch on the washing machine when energy prices are cheaper. But this is just the beginning. Today, we're going to look at how life will be different in 10 years' time and what it will take to get to this brave new world in a way that involves everyone and doesn't risk increasing the energy divide between the richer and the poorer. So we have two special guests today. Vera Hobhouse is the Liberal Democrat MP for Bath and the party spokesperson for the Climate Emergency and Energy. And we're also joined by Jagan McNeil, who is the head of policy for Smart Energy GB, the GB-wide campaign to help everyone understand the benefits of smart meters. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Hello. So maybe, um, can we start just by asking maybe, it sounds as though quite a lot of changes will happen to our lifestyles over the next 10 years. Maybe, Vera, if we start with you, what are the most immediate ones that an everyday member of the public might encounter. Parliament and past legislation that we need to get to net zero by 2050. Parties have got ambitions to get there even more quickly because we as a developed nations have the know-how and, and, and also should have um, the financial means to get there before less developed um, and less rich countries. But for the things that where we know what we can do, we should actually try and get there much earlier in the next 10 years. Um, and that includes home heating and surface transport. And since today we are talking about energy bills and fuel poverty and heating from homes, let's talk about that. But our biggest emissions in the UK uh, currently come from surface transport, so how we get back and forth from our workplaces and, and travel and so on and so forth. And the other taker up of our carbon footprint as a country is from heating our homes. It's not rocket science. We don't have to go out and have long research programs. We just need to stop um, heating our homes um, with fossil fuels. And we have to go to a net zero solution by renewables or we are going to hydrogen heating. Either of these are possible, but the government needs to set out some clear um, um, plans and strategies of how the government sees, because there are some big um, issues that, that needs to be resolved before industry can follow and consumers can follow of what they want to do in terms of heating their homes. But we cannot continue with our gas boilers and gas or, or, or any fossil fuel supply for heating our homes. Thanks, uh, Vera. That's a good description of where we are. Jürgen, she said we know what we can and what we should be doing. So perhaps you could explain a little bit more why it's not happening and what needs to, to happen now to, to make this vision become reality. I think the whole conversation around climate change and net zero has, has 
really sped up in the last couple of years. I'm in my mid-40s and I remember watching things like Tomorrow's World and how the future world will, will look like. And they really looked as if they will never, ever happen. But a lot of the things we spoke about then, such as electric vehicles and decarbonization of transport, are really starting to be something that we are seeing in real life and something that's becoming more achievable for many of us. And I hope that you know, the affordability and the reliability of those products will increase over time. I think the biggest issue is, there's many issues, but I think one of the biggest things is really changing our own psyche and our own behavior as energy consumers, really getting to grips as to what we can do. And we know that the Committee on Climate Change has, has said that about a third of emission reductions could come from behavior change by adopting te technologies such as electric vehicles. So we know that changing our own behavior is a big part of our goal towards achieving net zero. And some of those changes can be quite basic. They don't need to be massive, life-changing. You don't, don't go out and buy an, a, a new energy-efficient house. You could change a behavior within your house. And we've recently done some research around behavior change. And there seems to be a blockage, for example, with regards to washing your clothes. People just are not comfortable washing their clothes at lower temperatures, even though they realize that there's an environmental benefit from doing that. And that's probably something that's generational. So I can remember my mother washing the, the clothes and I used to help her out when I was the, the youngest in the, in the family, but it was a very hot washing machine in the old twin tub that we had in the house. People still have that mental block of changing their behavior from, from previous generations. And I really think that has to alter. But people have to be given the confidence and reassurance that by making those choices, they're actually making a difference. And then they need that kind of, it has to be validated in some way. And we often find that people, when we're talking to them, when they say, so what if I switch off my lights around the house or turn my appliances off standby or put in energy efficient bulbs or, or get a new boiler? So what? It's going to save a little bit and it's not going to save the planet. But the bigger thing is, if we all did it, it's the collective effort that really makes the, the big difference. And that's what's so important. And people understanding that they shouldn't devalue their own efforts with regards to climate change and uh, trying to achieve net zero. Because we, if we all did it, if we all did our little bits here and there, the collective benefit will be phenomenal. And we know that by switching off our, our appliances from putting them just off at the wall rather than standby, it's an environmental benefit, but there's also the financial benefit uh, as well. And for some people, that is the trigger point, understanding that energy wastage around the house has, has the uh, financial implication as well. So getting the message right to those people who can't understand or, or don't appreciate that their, their efforts will make a big difference. And messages have to be different for different groups of people in society. So to me, behavior changes are big fundamental that has to change quite soon in order to make sure that we're all playing your part towards net zero. Jürgen, that's great. But I'm wondering whether isn't part of the problem here that people, it's very difficult for people to, to change their behavior, especially if they're short of time or, or short of money. Don't we need technology to make these changes for us? So the lights automatically switch off, our smart meter automatically plugs in whichever machine we need to be plugged in. Absolutely. We're certainly seeing things like artificial intelligence, smart appliances, smart homes becoming more of a thing. And they do take a lot of decisions away from you. They just do things that are more efficient, more cost effective. And so you don't really have to, to, to think of what you need to do to make, to make energy savings or cost savings. So the, the advance of technology over the last five or 10 years has been quite fundamental and that will really ramp up over the coming years. So we're seeing 
things like the the incubator systems and the the catapult systems that exist in society, which are encouraging people to be more innovative around technology. And when we look at the energy market, especially the retail energy market, it's not really kept up pace with regards to innovation, but it's really rushing to catch up. So we've seen big innovations in the mobile telecommunications sector, for example. We've all got a computer in our pockets now. The, the banking sector, you can apply for loans and overdrafts on the strength of a thumbprint now before you had to make an appointment to go to the bank. So the innovation in other sectors has been quite fundamental in how we change your behaviours. In the energy sector, that is happening and it, it, it is happening and it's, and it's starting to pick up pace, which is fundamental. So we're seeing with the smart meter rollout that people are now getting data, are now getting access to information around their energy consumption and their their energy uses that they've never really had before. And that is allowing them to make choices, make positive choices on their energy consumption, deciding when they use their energy and how they use their energy. And also looking at areas where they can save energy and as we are in, in, in the current situation that we are in the moment, allows them to identify areas where they could save costs as well, which is really important for many families. So technology and innovation are really important to assist in that behavior change and to understand and to help people understand that wh- what they can do can actually be quite a simple thing, such as getting a smart meter installed in your home, by speaking to your energy supplier about making that happen. But then looking at the other technology and innovation that exists out there that can support you to make further changes in the home. And if it's open to you to look at the efficiency of your appliances, because we do find that that people who have had a smart meter installed, for example, they say that I am doing everything in the home that I possibly can, but there is something going on in the home that I can't put my finger on because I'm still burning a lot of energy. And sometimes it could be the fabric of the building that just isn't efficient. We have a lot of old, inefficient housing in Great Britain, or it could be an appliance in the house that is just past its best. It is now costing you more money than anything. And it's maybe time to look at renewing that appliance, whether it's a heating boiler or whether it's a fridge or freezer or, or something that in your home that is no longer as efficient as it could be. So technology and innovation allows you to identify those areas and then make the positive behavior changes on the back of that to allow you to save energy and to save costs as well. Who could disagree that we need behavior change and um, that there are lots of things we can do individually to support getting to net zero? Actually, the crisis and that the the planet is warming up is not new. You know about this for at least a generation and what on earth have we done about it? And we still keep talking about it as if there is no urgency, as if we are still in 2000, 20 years ago. Um, And now we know we only have about 10 years to do something. And I worry greatly that we are running out of time. And that as much as, of course, um, it is ideal if we bring everybody behind us and we get the behavior change a bit here, a bit there, it's not enough. We need the change of, uh, the pace of change has has to accelerate dramatically. And ultimately, uh, uh, the nice, um, friendly, soft, oh, let's do a little bit here, let's do a little, little bit there, wash at 30 rather at 40. And absolutely, I have been washing at 30, to be quite honest, more because I worry about my garment and that it doesn't shrink. But you know what I mean? That we, we've been doing some of these sort of things um, um, already and have been doing for the last 10 years. And it's not enough. In fact, we are missing getting to net zero. So it needs more and it needs big government to set agendas um, and they have to be and we've seen that through the pandemic and that's the only good thing about the pandemic that we can actually have seen as as citizens that government 
suddenly does big things if there is an emergency. The pandemic was seen as an emergency so far that the government doesn't seem to look at the climate emergency as an emergency because government can suddenly, when it needs to, make massive investments into something. And of course, technology can help consumers. But if you're looking particularly around and making sure that addressing the climate emergency doesn't hurt the poorest people worst, we need a government to set out agendas and make upfront investments about home improvements. Absolutely, we can save energy, but we, we also need to just completely change how we heat our homes. And who is going to be able to, for example, uh, afford a new hydrogen boiler if it's hydrogen um, and, 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 and all the stuff that needs to go with it in order to make that transformation happen? Or if it's not going to be hydrogen, it might be electric heat pumps. Who is going to allow poor households um, to afford that if it's not a government who steps in and say, we need to make that happen because uh, otherwise we're missing our targets and that costs the public and that costs societies a lot more than doing nothing. But we hear nothing from government. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. out really well that this is a massive crisis that needs lots of change but we're talking about smart meters we're talking about insulation we're talking about things in a very piecemeal fashion shouldn't we be taking a more holistic approach and who should be in charge of that and how do we manage that process in terms of understanding what is at the bottom of the decision making in order to make progress at at pace uh, it's government This is the big moment, not just our our British government, but governments, and we are going to have COP26, um, where governments are coming together to set the agendas or agree some targets and some measurements. Um, You you need a plan, you need investment, and then um, you need measurements of, of whether your plan is actually being implemented. And you're absolutely right. You know, if this is done in a piecemeal fashion and, you know, let the free market just decide all of that and and, and the consumer come in there, it would be lovely, but if we had 100 years, fine. If we had 50 years, fine. We've got 10. Um, and because of, of, of the emergency, I think this is a moment for big government and big government vision. And to be quite honest, I personally can't see it otherwise. Jaken, would you agree that's the approach we need? We need a more holistic approach to the, the energy transition. Absolutely. I think that if it, does, if it is done in a piecemeal way or if it is left to market forces, there will be big portions of society that just won't engage or get involved or benefit so if, if it's not a holistic approach i think we should just all could, could all just pack up and, and go home because if we don't get everybody around the table if we don't get ourselves all subscribed to this there is the danger that the targets we miss the targets by a mile not just in terms of temperatures but also in terms of time scales but also we've got big chunks of society who really need to benefit from this as well and some many of those are people who can't afford new technology whether it's an ev or battery storage or new appliances but they equally need to play a part in the journey to net zero uh, as well. So that, that has to come from the top. The direction of travel, the impetus, the, the, the enthusiasm and motivation must come from the top so that we're all into it and that nobody's left behind 
on that journey as well. Because the danger is that people do get left behind, and it's those portions of society that will are, are, are disproportionately disadvantaged at the moment, and will be more so as we progress toward towards a net zero future. Well, this discussion feels particularly relevant at the moment. We've been planning to have a discussion about the energy consumer of the future on this podcast for quite a while. But of course, the energy consumer of the present is under a lot of stress and worry. We're basically in the middle of a crisis around spiralling energy costs. And this puts us into a more immediate and urgent context. So as well as thinking about the climate challenges here, when we're thinking about the energy transition, looking at the this year's energy price squeeze, how do we mitigate against future energy crises? And are we on a strong footing at the moment to avoid this happening again? First of all, it's shocking how we are still so over-dependent on natural gas. Uh, and natural gas that doesn't even come um, from our own shores, but we import from other countries and we need to be a lot more um, energy independent from others. Um, and we can do that as a country. Um, we could, I say, we could even be exporters of renewables, but we are very windy. We are an island with lots of water. Uh, we could do hydrogen. We could do uh, wave power. We've got so much natural resources that could be used uh, and where, where the government should have uh, invested a lot uh, a lot more and could do a lot more now and i believe the future is renewables so my solution would be a simple one invest in renewable energy it needs political will it can be done and um, by government very quickly fair enough you know the renewables couldn't be sort of turned on tomorrow we need to obviously build a sector but within five or ten years we could have a fully functioning renewable energy network to my mind, and we would be not reliable on fossil fuel um, and natural gas anymore. So, so Vera, I wanted to follow up on what Alva said, because I think it's a really key point, is to, at the moment, we have a perfect storm of factors which are causing the energy transition and, and pushing gas prices up. And obviously, we can reduce gas. But will the transition to renewables into a more efficient system be smooth or should we also prepare people that it will be a bit of a bumpy ride and that's something that they need to be prepared about and to be for it to be understood that the impacts of climate change, if we don't go on this journey, will be worse than perhaps short-term rising energy prices. I'm one of 12 Little Democrat MPs and probably people don't hear what I'm saying, but I've never said that this would be smooth and easy and it would come at no cost. Of course not. My main demand is that those with the broadest shoulders need to carry a bigger load, um, but they need to carry a load. Uh, but what we also know since Stern, the Stern report, not doing something about the climate emergency is even worse. So we are only delaying the road if we don't do them soon and quickly. Of course, as politicians, you don't want it to sound too painful and you always want to say, but we, we, we go to a, a future that could actually be better. It could also be healthier, it could be all sorts of things, less polluted, all sorts of things. So let's not only paint a gloomy picture, let's also point out the things that are better at the end of it. But yes, the transition to it, the loss of jobs and the, the creation of new jobs in the meantime, there will be winners and there will be losers, but we cannot delay it any longer. And is there any way of mitigating that impact on the most vulnerable consumers if this will be a rocky transition? Jagen, do you have thoughts on that? Everything we're saying is, is is absolutely correct in the sense that it is going to be a bumpy road. It is going to come with its challenges. And we, we always have to be upfront about those things, that 
we, we can't always talk about everything's rosy and everything's going to be fine. There are going to be bumps on the road until we get there. But keep your eye to the future because the future is where we need to be in order to be healthy, safe as a planet. But the journey to get there is going to be tricky. It's going to be complicated. It's going to be bumpy. But it's where we must be in order for, for our own survival. Making it happen and making sure that everybody plays a part in that and gets involved that's, I think, where it goes back to the holistic approach. It has to, we have to have that lead. We have to have that ambition. We have to have the motivation to get on with it. And that, that applies to everybody who must play a part in this, whether that is the, the infrastructure providers, whether it is the network operators, whether it is government, whether it is local community organizations, or whether it's you and I as consumers of the energy, everybody's got a part to play in it. And by having that holistic approach, I think you're then able to identify where those who are maybe going to struggle with this transition a bit more and, and, and where they are and who will need that help. Because I think I will cope with it fine. I might be right. I might be wrong. I hope I cope with it fine. But I know some people in my kind of social network who are you know, a bit older, who are a bit, a bit more unsure about what's happening, will need a bit more support. And I hope they're looked after, whether that's by me or whether that's by local, national, central government or whatever. But we can't afford to leave people behind. So we really make sure, must make sure that while it is a holistic approach, the holistic approach really has to have a view across the entire landscape and make sure that those who are perhaps a bit more vulnerable, who are a bit weaker towards this transition, are looked after just as much. And whether that support comes from government or whether it comes from community help, that help should be available so that the transition is as successful and as complete as it possibly can be. Because as we say, it's going to be bumpy, it's going to be tricky, but we need everybody to subscribe to it. We need everybody to transition for it to be a success. Uh, and again, to come in there, so if, for example, we insulate our homes better, you know, you started off saying, Jürgen, that you know, one of our problems is our old housing stock. So we know that we're losing a lot of energy just through roofs and more walls and windows, then of course that will mean we consume less energy and ultimately our energy costs should go down. Except that of course probably energy costs in the medium term will go up and so to mitigate and, and also to pay for the home insulation that we need, uh, we need just a generous government. That's what I think we need. We need, we need a generous government that understands the challenge um, that this is a, is a unique challenge of our generation uh, and, and a government that recognizes this and, and, and understands that this is an investment into the future, but in the year and now, it needs to be generous. Thanks for that discussion. That was really fascinating. And thank you to our guest, Vera Hophouse. It's been an absolute pleasure and we need to have more of these discussions. And thank you to Jagen McNeil. Thank you um, and thanks for having me along. And you can find out more information about the Smart Energy GB campaign and join the energy revolution by searching Get a Smart Meter. listening to a special episode of the New Statesman podcast with me, Alva Ray, and my colleague, Philippa Nuttall, Environment and Sustainability Editor at the New Statesman. Our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Our producer is Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening.